what is the problem? You know, me as an immigrant, as a first generation immigrant, I expect my life to be difficult. I don't expect my children's lives to be difficult. They were born here, they speak Finnish, they grew up here. That is the real problem that needs fixing. Hi, I'm Denise Wall and I'm comfortably settled in a charming cafe called Enchanté on Erikinkatu in downtown Helsinki. I want to talk about one of Finland's quiet minorities, people who've uprooted themselves to work, raise families or study here. As of today, foreign background people account for just over 8% of the population, a bit less than half a million souls. Immigration is a major issue in Finland because of its aging population and low birth rates. So obviously, Finns discuss immigration and immigrants a fair deal. But what strikes me about all that chatter is that very few of us immigrants are involved in those conversations. It sometimes feels a bit like being in a room while other people talk about you. This podcast aims to give that quiet minority a voice in the social and political discourse. Welcome to Finland Through the Looking Glass. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall about life in Finland through the eyes of foreign background residents. Hi, I'm Denise Wall, and in this episode, Pamela Spokes joins me to talk about her journey as an entrepreneur in Finland and the insights she's gathered along the way. Pamela originally hails from Canada and she's lived here since 2007. Now, Pamela, by way of introduction, I raided your Twitter bio where you describe yourself as a seeker of great service, interested in social impact, knowledge and co-creating new ideas. You also say you're a lover of tea, brownies, non-fiction and sitting in the sun on a cold day. Well, we've got tea. We can provide brownies if you need them. This is non-fiction and the cold weather is here. So hopefully we're good. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Was entrepreneurship always the goal for you or were you uh, one of so many of us who turned to what some call forced entrepreneurship? And by that, I mean in the absence of a full-time job offer, self-employment was the next best option. Entrepreneurship was not really ever the goal for me. I'm not a natural entrepreneur and and very much I would put myself in the segment of forced entrepreneurship or the other thing, push entrepreneurship. Um, Nice way to say that. I did have some ideas that I could be an entrepreneur early on coming to Finland, like back in 2007, 2008. Um, But I just could not find the help that I needed to move forward in that journey. I spent six years working in Finland as an employee and you know during the crisis around 2014 is when I lost my job through Ute and uh, that kind of kick-started my descent (laughs) and and my um, exploring entrepreneurial pursuits. Uh, And by Ute you mean the co-determination talks that companies and uh, workers' unions get involved in when there's restructuring afoot and uh, and companies are usually looking to cut the number of employees on the payroll. Now, you say you're not a natural entrepreneur, but there's a lot of entrepreneurship if one looks through your background. And in fact, uh, Suomen Yritajat, 
That's the organization representing small and medium-sized enterprises here in Finland and Finland's largest business lobby, by the way. They've estimated that immigrants are accounting for a growing percentage of new businesses set up here. And I did find a report from back in 2019 that says that foreign background people here generate about 3.5 billion euros in revenue. With that in mind, can you tell us a bit about your journey through the ranks to become an established entrepreneur, the established entrepreneur that you are today? And what were some of the practical steps that you took to sort of bring that uh, vision to fruition? You know, I did all of the different um, personality tests, looking at what were, you know, what are the words that people are using for the for the talents and the skills that I have, because I didn't necessarily um, have those words. And so it was about looking at how somebody else would interpret my CV. One of the great things that um, happened to me is that I met at Alta University, I met one of the professors at the AVP, the Alta Ventures program. And he did, like, it was almost like a CV clinic where he was looking through people's CVs and he would tell you the threads that he saw. And in mine, he's like, I see experience design. And I had no idea. I'd never heard those words together. I didn't know what that was. To me, design was making cute logos, right? Like, I, I had no idea. And that sent me kind of on a journey. And that's where I discovered service design. And it kind of entirely shifted how I saw what I did, um, how other people viewed what I did. And I think getting that external view of what you do is really important. You found your niche, Pamela, in service design. What are some of the practical problems that you aim to solve with your special set of skills and experience? You know, a lot of people talk about uh, inclusion and diversity and, and these different areas. And for me, service design inherently has these in them, which is really, really important. So, you know, using a service design methodology when you have a problem to solve, whether you're, you know, doing it for a particular service or it's, it's something else where you're using design thinking, you know, getting multiple viewpoints of that problem is really, really vital right at the beginning. Because otherwise, you know, there's so many things you could solve and they may not be the right problem. Mm. And you may uh, end up designing a service for a very narrow niche. Absolutely. And, y you know, when we look at Finland as a whole, things have been designed here very well. Society functions very well. But it's designed for that narrow um, kind of segment, segment, right, of, of Finns. There isn't much diversity within that group of people. And, you know, they're majority the same religion. You know, they're pretty much all the same color. They have very similar beliefs. Even, you know, even like the political spectrum is quite narrow in Finland. So design needs to kind of come back and look at a, a different scenario. Now, I think it's important to also provide some signposts to help others listening to the show overcome some of the obstacles that they might be encountering on their entrepreneurship journey, if that's where their minds are at. So uh, can you help us by naming some specific organizations or resources that can help 
new entrepreneurs sort of confront some of the most common difficulties? You know, if you're coming into a new city, each uh, city has an Us Uretus Keskus, this uh, kind of new entrepreneur agency that's uh, run by the, the governments. And um, you have in the, in the capital area, you will have the shortcut is one place. The first thing is just to ask. You know, anybody that's involved in this area will be able to tell you the next place to go. So what I did when I first came to Finland and I couldn't um, figure out what to do is I sat in silence and I was in my brain and there were no answers in there. And so I didn't progress very far. I just needed to, you know, be bolder and ask more questions. I think it's also important to note, as you mentioned, uh, in their local municipal organizations, like the Uz Uritus Keskus that you mentioned, uh, but you can also go to your local employment office, the Te Toimisto, uh, and there you can get guidance if you're interested in entrepreneurship. And one of the things that they can help you sort of uh, design your business idea to get is this uh, startup grant that will help you get started in business. And I can speak about the Helsinki region where I know that there's an organization called um, Nuco. I think it's, uh, they keep changing That's the name. That's Business Helsinki See? now. There you go. Yeah. They keep changing yeah. the name. But yes, Business yeah. Helsinki. And yeah. you can get lots of help there. But let's stick a pin there because I think your cocoa is getting cold, your hot chocolate rather. Yes. And uh, I'll let you uh, attend to it and we'll be back. And when we come back, we'll take a closer look at how migrants in Finland are faring in the labor market overall. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. All right, and we're back from a little refreshment break. And Pamela... You mentioned that at some point you had been unemployed and you were looking for work, but you didn't find anything that quite matched your your skills and experience. And I want to circle back to the job search experience, and especially from the perspective of someone who hasn't grown up here and isn't familiar with the s- system. And I think it's a, an, an important issue because the most recent data from the Ministry of Economic Affairs and Employment here in Finland showed a decline in unemployment among all groups and this is these are this is data from uh, January this year among all groups except foreigners resident in Finland and in that group the number of jobless people increased by nearly 16% so it's clear that foreign background people face more hurdles in the job market uh, from interacting uh, with unemployment services to trying to catch the eye of potential employers, obviously. Uh, what has your experience been in terms of finding work here? Well, I can say like my first job, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I got really lucky, right? So I happened to find a job that fit perfectly with my skills. And I was able to be employed by a Finn who had done their education overseas. They saw value in diversity and they could see that my skill set was really what the organization needed you know kind of taking off the top that i didn't speak finnish let's try to see how this will go and i worked with her for six years and it was it was great we we did a lot of great work together um, and it just happened that when this ute came around that was uh 
unfortunate for me, you know. And I also had Finnish uh, people that I knew that were unemployed at the same time, and they were like they were being constantly called by the unemployment office. Have you done this? Have you done that? Checking on them, you know. I, I got. I think I waited four months for my first phone call from the unemployment office. That's a a deafening silence. It it really is. And and when I did get my call, he just looked at my CV. And he said, "Well, I guess you know what to do." What? Right? Yeah. Like you've had many jobs before. You're highly educated. You seem to know what you're doing. I'll let you get on with it. And and I don't think I heard from them again in in six months. And so you know, in a way, it was you know by hearing about how much my 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 Finnish counterparts were being badgered. Mm. <laughs> you know, in a way, it was it was maybe nicer. Um, but it was definitely not helpful. Did you ask for more support from the unemployment, or the rather the employment office, as they call themselves? I I I didn't know what I should or could expect from them, because there was so many people unemployed. They seemed really kind of harried, and. Um, very little ability to to help me. We know, and because there's been a lot of talk about it, that the country is looking to attract more people like you, with an entrepreneurial spirit, to settle here, and hopefully to establish growth companies that will help boost the economy. In fact, during that Juhasipila administration. Uh, Finland introduced a startup visa program, um, and the idea was that it would help fast track the applications of people looking to set up these kinds of growth businesses here. But according to Migri, and that's the Finnish Immigration Service, uh, getting a startup visa should take as little as two weeks, uh, while you should expect to wait about three to four months for a regular entrepreneurship visa. But that has not gone quite as planned, and many people have been in the, the news at various points in time, uh, complaining about these inexplicably protracted uh, waiting times for visas. As well as when you do get the visa, people have to wait for basic things like bank accounts and and so on. Why hasn't Finland been able to resolve these problems? Honestly, my experience with different government programs is that they they start out with great ambition and then they are just underfunded to such an extent that makes them untenable there there are multiple examples of of this happening and so you know they talk about wanting to have uh, startup visas um, granted in two weeks but i'm sure they don't give the en- enough people to actually process them for that you know that's more money you have to fund the people to do that it is just a chronic and consistent underfunding of the ideas they think they can do them cheaper now i would say that another problem that's plaguing efforts to address these kinds of issues is that there seems to be a gap between aspiration and execution, and this might be what you're talking about, Pamela. How do we address that? I think there's this there's this tension between wanting to be the best at it, but not wanting other people to come and use it, right? So we, we want to be number one on all of these lists. Isn't that amazing? We're doing a great job. Pat ourselves on the back. But then when people go, hey, that's really great. I'd like to come there. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> exactly. I think there's this tension between what the country needs 
and what the country wants. And it's this, this tension between need and want that is kind of creating the, the problems that we have now. Um, and this kind of going, going back to solving the wrong problem. What do you mean by that? So when I, when I look at what the actions are of organizations that are looking to attract international talent and all of these things, you know, it's all one about information. Right. If, if people just had more information, if companies just had more information, they would be more willing to hire international people. But I don't believe that the problem is information. There's a lot of information out there. It's back to this, this tension of what people want, how people in Finland are feeling, how they are viewing the future. Um, what does a Finland in the future with a lot of immigration look like? Right. Like this is that's an emotional issue. That's not an information issue. So but information is way easier to tackle. Right. So it's it's the, the road of least resistance at this point. But the problem you identify, which is a problem around how people feel about what Finland could or should look like. How does one even approach such a problem? That's yeah. I, At this point, I think that's the that's the big question. It's very difficult because as a Canadian, I grew up entirely with diversity, right? It, it is a country that is based on immigration. And therefore, to me, that is a strength. So seeing people struggle with the idea of whether we should immigration or we shouldn't immigration, <laughs> I sometimes are like, okay, let's just get over this. Let's deal with the reality. Right? It's a place where they can stay and procrastinate. And this kind of procrastination is is dangerous for the future of Finland. And and I don't know if I'm the person to say how we how we get past that, but somebody has to start thinking about it in that way. An American uh, management speaker, um, his name's Russ Akoff, and he said this thing that is used, you know, a lot, the concept is used a lot in service design, which is, The writer we do the wrong thing, the wronger we become. So when we m make a mistake doing the wrong thing and correct it, we become wronger, right? And this goes back to this information. If we're just going to keep doing information, it's just going to keep getting wronger and wronger. So, you know, when we make a mistake doing the right thing and correct it, we become writer. So even doing the right thing wrong is better than doing the wrong thing right. Exactly. So, you know, kind of really hard focus on, on information and that being our entire focus of moving Finland forward, it just it gets wronger and wronger because the real problem gets further and further away. All right. Let's uh, pause for a moment for a quick break and we'll come back and look at the question of whether or not Finland really is open for business, as they say. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. And we're back chatting with Pamela Spokes. And we wanted to sort of interrogate Finland's claim 
that it is in fact open for business and by that I think it means that it's open, opening its arms, welcoming highly skilled uh, employees, people with great ideas for startups, you know, high growth businesses and, and other entrepreneurs. From that perspective, Pamela, what can you say other countries are doing to attract people that Finland should maybe be considering? Well, oftentimes, um, like for me, my examples come from my home country. Um, and one of the things that I think has been a, a good direction that, that Canada has taken is really looking at uh, inter international degree students as pre-immigration, right? So that means that if you come and study and do a degree in Canada, your path to citizenship is shorter than it would be if you came for other reasons, right? You now have this highly skilled individual that has been trained in your national system and has proven that they can speak English to a, a great extent. And so they, you know, the reward is that you have a shorter path to citizenship. This is a really smart way to get highly talented, very focused individuals you know people specifically come because they're looking for citizenship they're looking for a way to participate in the country and be a part of the country so I think this is something that that Finland could look at um, and and my hope is is that that somebody somewhere is considering this um, I'm hoping that there's you know a group of people that that gather and talk about how they can leverage you know, the skills and resources that they already have. Like, this is one of the big issues from the international community that's already here. It's like, why are you trying to bring more people into a situation where there's so much talent that is already wasted? And we know, um, not just from anecdotal evidence, but a lot of international who's, uh, students who come to Finland, and many of whom hope to settle here and find work, they simply don't. So something needs to be done about that existing sort of resource pool that's here in Finland. I think another thing that's interesting about the Canadian example that you raise, Pamela, is the fact that Canada, for example, is all in when it comes to immigration. I mean, some of the numbers that they're targeting in terms of the number of people that they want to come into the, the, the country are astronomical if you compare to the very conservative estimates that Finland is looking at, aren't they? Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting that the views you can see. So one story was my daughter was in grade six, I think, and we were going to Canada for an, uh, two and a half weeks. And I wanted to take them there for Halloween so they could experience a Canadian Halloween. And that would mean that um, she would have to miss school. So I discussed it with the teacher and she gave her some extra projects that she could do while she was there. And one of the things that she asked her to do was to find three news stories in the, in the local papers about immigration because they were working on a, on a project um, about immigration and, and population flows and everything. And so during the two and a half weeks we were there, we could only find one article about immigration and it it was about them the government had decided to up the number of immigrants over the next few years to 350,000 per year and it was just a statement right there was there was no discussion of whether immigration is good or bad or no 
fear happening. It was a non-issue. I want to draw uh, attention to a report that was done by the Finnish Center for Pensions. And they ran a few scenarios relating to immigration, assuming different kinds of immigration levels, including a zero immigration scenario. So they ran these um, they ran they, they tested these models where immigration would, would either be zero immigrants per year, five thousand per year, ten thousand per year, fifty fifteen thousand per year, or twenty thousand per year. And I remember quite vividly that in terms of the scenario where there was zero immigration or 5,000 people per year, the overall population in Finland would shrink by as many as 2 million people. This is an existential question for Finland and the discussion rather should be around what needs to change to ensure that Finland has a viable future. And I have to say that as someone who has settled in Finland and who is going to retire in Finland, I very much feel like I have skin in the game on this question. I'm interested in understanding what's going to happen to me when I retire. Will I be able to get my pension? Will I be able to get elder care services? So this is a serious issue and I'm, I'm always startled that more Finns are not really worried about what's looming down the road. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. And one of the things that I think is interesting about the modeling that they did is that they didn't even put it up as high as what they're saying that we actually need here in Finland, right? If they stopped at 20,000 a year, but they are saying we need 44,000 a year. So it, it's it's very interesting that the that 20,000 was like extreme. <laughs> that is the other extreme of this modeling. But the question becomes, you know, looking at what is the problem? If you, you know, me as an immigrant, as a like first generation immigrant, I expect my life to be difficult. I don't expect my children's lives to be difficult. They were born here, they speak Finnish, they grew up here. That is the real problem that needs fixing. Um, you know, if people feel included and valued in a society, they are far less likely to commit criminal activity or feel the need to. They, they have skin in the game, right? These, when you have giant sectors of people, segments of people that are, are doing this, they don't have skin in the game. It doesn't matter. No one's going to give me a job anyway. So what does it matter if I have a criminal record? I think it raises the question about integration. Is it ever possible to be fully or to be considered fully integrated into Finland? Yeah, and I have friends who have, you know, gone through the process and become Finnish citizens. And then people are still like, but no, where are you really from? Or, okay, yeah, I guess you can be Finnish, but <laughs> what else are you? So I'm part of the um, Suomi Canada Seura. And it's open to anybody who has connection to Canada or Finland. And we had a, um, a journalist pop up, a Finnish journalist, asking if they could interview people in Canada who have like Finnish heritage because they wanted to ask them when they felt Finnish and when they felt Canadian. I said to her, I said, what you don't seem to realize is in Canada, you can feel both at the same time. Right? You, and you are both at the same time. It's only in Finland where you are one or the other. 
I, I can't explain it any other way. It's this lack of maturity in identity and combined identities. I wanted to circle back to the question of, of immigration that we were discussing. And uh, a lot of analysts and, and uh, armchair experts have focused on easing bureaucracy in obvious areas, such as the immigration and integration process. Um, but some radical thinkers, there have been a few voices here and there, they've been suggesting that the Finnish language is one barrier that needs to be considered when it comes to attracting a certain level of immigrant, which is what Finns think would help contribute to, to the future of this country. Uh, what's your view on that? Oh, the Finnish language. My, my status on that is it's complicated, not just the language, but... And absolutely, you know, if you want to be fully integrated in Finland, you know, the language is, you know, the the last stop in a way. But it also, it cannot be a barrier to a successful future, like as a country, right? At some point, you know, we're already living in a country that understands that it is bilingual. Trilingual? Could it be a trilingual country? I don't know. Um, but it's a bilingual country where you need to declare one language. As a parent of a preschooler, uh, you know, we were asked, what is our home language? Well, our home language is more than one language. They would only ever give you the, the one, you know, one choice to fill in. Um, and we were never a one language home. And as a, as a bilingual country, I thought it was odd that they would force you to pick one. I have a crazy idea that we could set up a, a hospital here in the Helsinki region where we operate this hospital in English, right? We can we can have professionals from overseas come work there, spend a portion of their time learning Finnish, but while they're working in English, right? And this will allow kind of like a flow of people. And as soon as those people become, you know, fluent enough in Finnish, they can move to other hospitals that do their service in Finnish or Swedish. Um, and I think it's really important to be really open to new ideas. You know, Finland is, is really good at, at designing services for people, I think. Uh, you know, they've done really well in designing education and all of these things. So I, I don't think it's, it's such a big step to try some things. One thing... Uh, that you mentioned that struck me has to do with couldn't Finland be trilingual? Uh, but I think it is. I, I mean, English is so widely used. It is a de facto. It's it's not officially a third language, but de facto. And increasingly in business, it is the language of business, especially for companies that see themselves as international or even cross-border, operating outside of uh, the boundaries of Finland. I think English is, is the go-to language. I want to reiterate and I think it's very important to note the local language as you said it's important to learn it because that's your doorway to full participation not just in Finland but in any society so so that's a given and I think people recognize that and I think as a result there doesn't need to be this hysteria over the idea that somehow the Finnish language will wither and disappear because it's it's still important And people do want to learn. I think that's the other thing that needs to be noted. But of course, I'm sure there are lots of opinions on that point. 
But I think I will leave that for our audience to digest and perhaps to discuss further and wrap up our conversation here, Pamela. But I have one final uh, kind of a wild card question for you, which is that without knowing who our next guest will be, what would you like to ask them? I, for me, the one that kind of popped into my into my mind first um, is actually leads off from these language questions that that how can Finland include more voices in decision making without the words having to be in Finnish? Pamela, thank you so much for joining me and having this super interesting chat today. Is there anything that you'd like to mention before we let you go on with your day? Yes, thank you. Um, one of the things that I'd really like to point out that a lot of people don't know is that, you know, we mentioned Suomen Yrittäjät earlier, and what a lot of people don't know is that um, many of the services that they have, they have some trainings, they have different services that people can use that are not only for members. Um, and all the time we're developing uh, the English um, bank of information that's available. You know, becoming a member, of course, you'll have access to everything. Um, and that's for people who have become entrepreneurs. Um, but yeah, it's a great resource to help get you started. Thank you so much, Pamela. On behalf of our audience, I'd like to thank you for joining us and for kickstarting our journey on Finland through the Looking Glass, which of course is a podcast that opens up the lives and experiences of immigrants in Finland. I would also like to thank our gracious hosts here at Enchanté Café in Erikinkatu in downtown Helsinki for allowing us to join and make use of the wonderful atmosphere. Please remember to like, share and subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on all of the major listening platforms. And of course, don't forget to join our Facebook community where you can continue the discussion. Just search for Finland Through the Looking Glass and you'll find us. Finland Through the Looking Glass is a podcast created and hosted by Denise Wall. Production on this episode was handled by Travis Glossop. Thank you to our friends at Enchanté Café in Helsinki. Join us on the next podcast for more intimate and eye-opening conversations from Finland's quiet minority.